0: Welcome back, my friends, to the sweet spot, where IT leaders share the insights with other leaders, others who want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and as every week, I have my two co-hosts, Howard Houghton and Paul Lewis. Hey, guys. Hey there. I see Howard is getting knowledge. Howard <laughs> always <laughs> getting knowledge.
1: At least trying to. At least trying to.
0: Oh, well, you're still festive.
2: You're yeah. Still- oh yeah, still fall. It's very important to me to maintain the uh, assumption that there's leaves on the trees, even though there are no more leaves on the trees where I am. It's yeah. dreary and white at my house, and we, that needs to change. And rainy and stormy here. Uh, but you're at least you're you're south, so you get to see some sun at so at some time.
1: Yeah. What's your what's your temperature right now, Paul?
2: Um, I don't know. I'm guessing um, two to three degrees Celsius. Oh, you're warm.
1: Yeah, I'm negative twelve degrees Celsius. <laughs> Yikes! Negative twelve. Ten degrees Fahrenheit. So negative twelve, twelve degrees
2: Celsius. There you go. So more snow is coming then.
1: Uh, probably not. Actually, we just get cold. Mm. You know, we're way up in the
2: mountains and.
1: The wind comes whipping over the plane, so it, it tends to uh, affect the temperature
2: negatively. Do you get the chinook? Uh, we do get some chinook, yes. Nice, nice. Calgary is a positive chinook city. It's either minus thirty or uh, like positive fifteen in the in the winter.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we we get either lovely or terrible. Like it's you don't go outside for more than seconds, or go outside all you want in your shorts. <laughs>
2: right. It's going we swing from day to day. It's
1: hilarious. Yeah. Or hour to hour. Hour to hour. Yeah. We, we definitely live in a must-keep must keep nice jacket in the car estate.
2: <laughs> right.
1: Because it could very well go from short sleeve weather to you now, you're freezing, you, might, you better grab a parka. <laughs>
2: right. Parka and gloves.
0: Yeah.
2: But not Carlos. He gets sun and sea on a daily basis.
0: Yeah. Sunny, weather every part of the year, but then it's rainy. That's a problem. You want to go out? Like here, you need an umbrella or a poncho or something on your car. Because you're out and you think that it's perfect and you're in flip-flops and then all of a sudden there's a hurricane.
1: All of a sudden there's a hurricane. A there's a
2: hurricane. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's some warning.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I think we need to work on a warning system. I mean, really. So so how is, what's the humidity like in, in Miami? Is it humid?
0: Yes, but depend on the area. There's some areas more on the south if you're closer towards the beach. Mm. It is more humid than if you're more on the center. But thank God where we are, it's not that humid. It's not that bad. Um, so we enjoy it. We like It's very similar to Puerto Rico. Uh, so. That's interesting. In California, um, the closer you are to the beach, the
1: less humid it is because you get the breeze all the time. Right. The breeze seems to pull the humidity out of the air.
0: So it's very diverse Here where we are. Here we go. Another one. How about on the leadership bench? Diversifying the leadership bench. What do you guys think about that?
2: That's quite the stretch on the transition.
0: I think you might Nice.
1: I always like to see the, the mental, mental acrobatics that Carlos goes through there to try to connect our our bullshit in the beginning to the actual topic.
2: Like <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> Let me
1: pick Does it sometimes take you an hour to kind of unpretzel your brain after you do that? Because that one was that one was pretty far.
2: <laughs> Howard, you have thoughts on diversity and inclusion?
1: Yeah. So so give me the statement
2: the, the statement that you made before. Uh, there has been talk about diversification at the leadership level. So in our sense, it's the CIO and CTO and CISO or all the VPs and SVPs of that, uh, of that team. Uh, how do you handle that? Do you handle that via org chart? Do you handle that via org design? Do you handle that via talent development? Do you handle that via recruiting? Could be any one of those things. I'm kindest on the side of org design. And I could talk about that, but you know, what's your gut feeling in terms of diversification and inclusion?
1: I mean, so, so I think there's a couple of problems there. Um, I think the biggest problem that we have is a lack of perspective. I think it's the biggest problem that most companies have is a lack of perspective. Um, especially when you look at the boards and and the C-level, right? They tend to fit a particular monochromatic scale. Um, and unfortunately, what that does is it leaves you in, in in the position where you're going to do the same thing you did yesterday, tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so we really need to start looking at diversification as the value added from differing perspectives, not the value added by the act of diversification. And therefore, if I'm looking for different perspectives, I really need to think about it almost backwards. What, what is it about the company that I'd like it to become? And then what are the perspectives that will help me get to what I want us to become? And then you've got a real clear path on what is the diversity in perspective that I'm looking for and how do I get that diversity in perspective? Rather than just, it, it seems entirely too much. We celebrate diversity for the fact that it is um, prima facie diversity. Right, It's obvious on its face that it's diverse without ever talking about why that perspective is useful, interesting, innovative, and helpful to the organization itself.
2: So I'd argue with your response, you actually agree from my perspective, but let, let me describe it. So one could tackle this problem um, exactly as you say, from a people-centric perspective. I have a set of... Uh, diversification stats to which I need to acquire, and therefore I'm going to either promote and or recruit in that manner. Or you can think of it as a diversification of opinion and inclusion, a consistent inclusion of that opinion, which means it's an organization pattern. Let me describe what I mean. So one can design the CIO and down organization to be equivalent to your own opinion, right? So uh, of my opinion, I've been in a CIO for 20 years. I'm a command and control CIO. I spend all my time reducing my uh, expenses and ensuring that my blinking lights are on and my red, green, yellow projects. And therefore everybody I hire will have that background, will have that perspective, will want to be measured that way. Or you can be a CIO who says, you know what? Um, I already have X knowledge. What I don't have is A, B, C, D, all the way to Z knowledge. And therefore I need to create a team that has a diversification of thought and therefore needs to come from a variety of backgrounds and ages and and geographies uh, and political spectrum to support that. Um, And instead of having one-on-one conversations, I need to have um, a set of inclusionary conversations. I need to have one-on-one, I have to have small groups and I have to have larger groups and I have to assume that that's a that's a continual educational pattern not just to me but to the rest of the team so I see that in many ways as an organizational design pattern problem versus a recruiting and promotion problem
1: I I tend to agree um, only uh, I would describe it as um, agility of thought versus an echo chamber if all we're designing is an echo chamber, we're never going to have diversity of thought. We're never going to have diversity of perspectives. And then all we're going to be able to do is get the result of A equals A. There's, no, there's never a plus to an echo chamber. There's no right. growth contained within an echo chamber, right? So if you're designing an echo chamber, if you look around and find that you have kind of organically designed an echo chamber, maybe it's time to stop and go, what do I want the end of the equation to be? Then I can insert the value required to get the end of the end of the equation, and it can't just be a plus a equals a. I mean, it can. Sure, you can do whatever you want. The fact is, you're not going to be successful if a plus a equals a. You're not going to attain the continuing success you could otherwise attain. Um, if if you know your goal is to grow a dollar into a dollar ten, great. If your goal is to grow a dollar into ten dollars, it's not going to happen if it's an echo chamber.
2: And so I, I assume you've worked in both, right? You've worked in a, um, a less diverse environment and a more diverse environment, and what were the pros and cons of right either? So the pro of a
1: less diverse environment, especially in the startup space, is the ability to um, maintain a clear focus on a very tight objective. And if your goal is to have a very, very tight objective, a clearly defined target, and you've defined the path that you're going to use to get there, all of that is set. And it's really just about running as fast as you can to that target. An echo chamber does, in fact, have some value there. We're not going to get distracted if it's an echo chamber. Mm -hmm. At the same time, if you have any interest whatsoever in breaking out of the pattern that you see in front of you, of capturing a new market, of doing anything different whatsoever, it requires diversity of thought diversity of perspectives and and the reality is that's more than just diversity of people that's really a culture that that inspires um the confidence to execute on that on the value of that diversity right Um, that means the the person with the harvard mba and the person with the hard knocks mba um carry carry a similar voice in the room and similar consideration in the room doesn't mean, it doesn't mean we decide everything by, by uh, you know, having too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Right? It doesn't mean that that, we, that, that everything is, is a um, party decision, but it does mean everyone gets heard and you're able to go down the rabbit hole and go, hey, I think that actually has some merit, regardless of the source. Let's kind of walk through that and think through that. And what happens entirely too often is um, it's diversity in name only, in right. which case they really want you to be seen and never heard. Right, um, and, and then we just march to the, to the beat of the same drum with different drummers. And it, and it really doesn't, it doesn't provide any of the value that we otherwise really should be seeking out.
2: Mm-hmm. Let me share a story where diversification actually or diversity was the solution. So, so back in my early days uh, in the Canadian technology world, specifically in the mortgage world, uh, there were three technologies. There was two PC client-server technologies and one Mac-based uh, client-server technology. And they had existed for, let's say, 15 years. Uh, and, in the, and they served up the mortgage broker community in Canada. Let's say there were 5,000 of these mortgage brokers. Um, and it would be fair to say that uh, there was an archetype of a mortgage broker, right? A, a male of a certain age... Um, who, were, who uh, were delivering on individual uh, financial advice to a variety of, of customers out in the world. We need to replace that technology over time. As you can imagine, there's only so much you can, you can create without a web-based tool. So we decided to consolidate those three technologies into a single web-based technology. Uh, and knowing that... Uh, the diversity of the ultimate home buyer was changing in terms of first-time home buyers, in terms of uh, be both an urban and seeing. Problems. Unfortunately, we were designing the web-based application to be almost functionally equivalent to the uh, server-based applications, and until we diversified the team to include much younger. Uh, org members, both technologists and business analysts, and a diversity uh, in terms of gender, in terms of uh, not just age, but uh, technological background, or even uh, uh, geo-centric background, uh, to support understanding how our users would start to use this technology, which was different than before, how uh, documents would get produced that would end up going to home buyers that were even more diverse than they would be. So we essentially had to replace easily 80% of the team members and it just to ensure we had a different perspective of the user behavior, the user experience, uh, the UI in general, um, and that was the only way we were effective and we were able to, to consolidate those three applications. But diver- diversification, diversity was the only way we were going to make this work going forward.
1: Sure. Uh, I mean, you can you can look at any engineering organization too, and see and see a similar story repeated at Infinitum, right? You can almost now look at an interface and go, "Oh, that was built by the same engineers that built the tool to begin with," versus right. we went out and got people to represent the end user who built a user interface based on how they might want to actually interact with the thing, that showed clear and concise paths to get to what you want to get to, clear and concise results, and. And less than four clicks to find everything that you needed to find, and a nice shiny interface that made you want to use it. Um, and you know the, the payout is is enormously different, right? Um, look at Pure versus you know pick a vendor. Um, we, people buy Pure because it's because it's easy. They don't buy Pure because it's it's got the name. Um, and the value of easy really comes through in that diversification. I don't want the same thought process that led to the engineering of the box to design the user interface. Right:
0: And that's actually because it doesn't. It's not only with hardware, but I, I get a lot of offers for new software pieces, and you just describe something that is very interesting. You can see when the team thinks and there's diver, diversity of thought because the product becomes easy to use. There was one to send SMS text, and they was a great option, a uh, great price, but extremely clunky, extremely clunky. But mm. uh, when that one came out, I invested on it because it granted me the option that for the rest for life, I'll be able to send SMS about i think 10,000 or 25,000 sms messages per month for anything so i said okay so the value that what they were charging at that time but the interface was horrible so that that's something that is very important as you're describing that the engineering part need to include different areas and you're describing something that i wanted to ask you for not only the leaders but also the people that work with the leaders you mentioned about diversity so it will not be an echo chamber Mm -hmm. so the how does a team support the leader so he doesn't become an echo chamber? how does an interesting perspective
2: so from so from member to leader versus leader to member
0: exactly because if a cio or a cto or a manager is at a meeting You don't want to just say, yeah, because you become tough.
1: I mean, you make sure that you're heard. Right? That's the best way to do it. Um, And and frankly, that's good career advice in general. Um, Make sure that you're heard in the most respectful, most appropriate way possible. Those two things are important. Um, You know, if a decision has already been made, being heard is not helpful. Right. At that point, it's about how do I support that decision moving forward and how do I help execute on that decision? Right. But when we're in the decision making process, now is the time to be heard. I understand what you're trying to say, but I think this perspective, I think this buyer, I think this whatever it happens to be is ultimately going to give us a better result. And this is what we need to do to accomplish that. Um, and, And I think lacking that, I think we've got a problem. Right. Lacking that, I think you're going to end up in a situation where it's just, it's either yes-men or um, you become known as the problem employee that's always the naysayer.
2: Was there know, an obvious the problem transition problem. for you, Howard, between uh, a more diverse and a less diverse team, either a peer member team or a team to which we reported into you. Was there um, an obvious point in time in your career or...? Uh, there was same company. Um, I won't mention the company. Um, it's a,
1: and so, both good and bad, right? Um, there were team members that were hired to check a diversity box. Um, those that fit more than one checkbox uh, often could do anything they wanted. Didn't matter that their their value was in checking the box. They knew it, and it was problematic. Um, the company overinvested in them and got nothing out. Um, at the same time, um, ch- especially changing leadership to to add diversity to the team um, created some incredibly strong leaders that really helped pull out of us something different that I really enjoyed, mm. right? Um, they took it a different direction, right? The, the, and, and some of that is the pre- previous leader, leadership had, in fact, got tired. Some of it was they looked at the problem very differently. Right. They looked at the problem from the perspective of, um, we have a job, we get paid, the KPI is tickets closed and the time to close tickets, right? So it's a standard SLA crowd. Um, but the new leader changed how we went about that and really focused on the, the customer satisfaction aspect of the ticket action itself. Um, and she used to say something that became one of my favorite things to say. I'm not trying to create, or she said, my goal in all of this is to create raving fans. I don't want people that like me. I want raving fans. And that's always kind of stuck with me. And I think that had it not been for the fact that they changed to someone who had a different perspective on the challenge, I think we would have been stuck doing it the same way. Yeah,
0: also- my,
2: my career almost went... Hourglass, right, where I started for the first, let's say, five to ten years in an incredibly diverse financial services setting, right, where, where all walks of life were delivering value and services to all walks of life, right, because the reality is in a bank, as you can imagine, um, the customer segments cross the nation, right? Across the nation and cross the, the constituency as a whole. The population is our customer base. Um, and then moving in from that into a tech, a in many ways, a startup technology organization, where three of us were making decisions for uh, a customer base of, of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. And it was very clear that this reduction of diversification of thought uh, made uh, poor decisions in many ways. So it was only our experience that were added to the to the user user experience or to the UI or just how this thing actually functioned. And until we expanded that organization to have a much more not just diversified team member, but actually an I- inclusionary process of ideas, did we actually actually start to mirror what the client set was again. So I've seen this whole what what clearly did work but I didn't appreciate it to what clearly didn't work and it was obvious back to a point where I felt that this was a normal, rational way one designs an organization. And I would say
1: um, diversification really is, I I kind of want to double click on it, really is diversification of thought,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. right? Not diversification of appearance. Like, let's be honest, right? Um, when, when um, When we see the term diversity higher, it refers to sex or race. Those are the things that it refers to. Those are outward appearance.
2: It might be distinctly different between Canada and the U.S., but uh, but I I buy that.
1: Right. So um, the challenge becomes if all I've done is hire someone with the same perspective, but a different outward appearance, I haven't really changed anything. I haven't really gained any value. Right. Um, And I worked in organizations that were tremendously diverse of the the races and, and sexes represented. And yet every single person thought the same. Their industry had changed around them, but they all thought about the industry kind of pre-change, and they were completely unable to catch up with the evolution of the industry and really take advantage of the of the dynamics that were added and the opportunities that were created. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, uh, I worked in in, a, in a, at another company where the industry was very cloistered. Right, it was very nepotistic, um, and being one of the one of the few people from outside that industry. Um, I immediately showed my value simply by having a different perspective. It wasn't that I was better at it or worse or anything else than anybody else in the room. It was simply a different perspective added to, to a pond that had become stale that all of a sudden allowed us to, to, to start grabbing, grabbing change and making differences.
2: Yeah, the least diverse organization is a family-run business. <laughs> For sure. Because <laughs> not, only, not only do you not get diversity of thought, you have a patriarch or a matriarch making effectively all the decisions. So there's no
1: so there's a really famous organization that's going to be right now.
2: You've been in the news a lot. Why am I, why
1: can't I think oh White House, right?
2: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs>
2: Not by design, but certainly by implementation. Sure. So but I so- I've encountered many small, medium, large, you know, family-based organizations where it's very clear that they're making um they're making hereditary conversations, or they're setting themselves up for uh, financial gain for the next several hundred years, right? It's 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 about inherent sharing versus actually providing value, you know, to to a, a client mix or to an audience.
1: But you don't have to pick between the two,
2: yeah,
1: right? Like ultimately, you could in fact do both. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the of the situation is, if you're um, son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter, niece, nephew, cousin, brother, whatever the family member is that's involved, is in the wrong position, it doesn't actually have to change their, the share they own in the company. <laughs> right. It is totally fine to take someone that needs to inherit, because that's the way you want it to go, and put them on the board and still give them an inheritance. Right. It's okay to put them in the spot that makes logical sense for them, even if they have the golden list of golden parachutes. Because putting the right people in the right positions can be a multiplier of value. Mm-hmm.
2: Which is it, why those organizations do well when it's a family-run business, but an external CEO. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk inclusion. We talked about diversity a lot. Let's talk about inclusion. So diversity is diversity of thought, both a thought in terms of of how one thinks and then experience holistically, right? So I have different expertise and experience and you want to add that to your team. But inclusion is about ensuring that you're constantly getting that feedback, that there isn't somebody in in the room that's in the corner that you never talk to or ask for their input, that everybody gets to provide input all the time. You're constantly including these voices. How How do I ensure that
1: culture is created? So uh, I actually like, like zoom for this. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and for those who don't like do this naturally, because you've been doing it long enough that you've come up with your own methods. Here's a great method. Um, simply do a round Robin in zoom, ask for opinions and make it active and just go from where, from, from where you're at to the next person, 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 right? And you've gone through everyone. And then when you do it the next time, do the same exact thing, only go backwards. Start from where you ended last time and go back through. Oftentimes what happens is people share opinions. They work together. Right? It's not it's not um, bizarre that they're going to share opinions. They may not ha- even have much to say on that particular topic. Um, they don't want to be first or last because those are the voices that are the hardest. Right. So simply pick an order to go. And then when, when you're back in person, do the same thing. Just go around the conference room. Right? And then go the other direction. And don't demand that everyone speak. Just ask that everyone voice an opinion, even if it's simply that they concur with someone else. That's totally fine. Not everyone's going to want to speak the same. Not everyone's going to say the same number of words. Not everyone's going to have the same um, voice and not everyone's going to have a perspective on everything said, but do make sure you're collecting it. And then you're going to find that there will be some people that are simply that you interpret as being a naysayer. They're simply against everything that's said. That's a really good opportunity you to mentor them, or to connect them with a team member who can mentor them in how to be appropriate um, and how to be respectful and how to determine the difference between gathering opinions before a decision is made and executing on a decision once it's already been made.
2: Hmm. Uh, I like that. Uh, I have a slight augmentation, and you probably agree with it, but I'll say it anyway, is that there's generally still someone in the room that's either accountable or responsible for that particular topic or that particular decision. Ensure that person speaks last, not first. You don't, want the opi- you don't want the point of view in the room before everybody gets an opinion of that point of view. You want all the point of views first. And then you expect that person who's responsible to assimilate everything they just heard. In fact, you've got to be very specific to say, I don't even want to hear your opinion yet until you've effectively repeated some of the interesting ideas you've just heard in the last 10 minutes, before you actually augment your opinion to incorporate those concerns.
1: That's the best advice of it all, all, for sure. For sure. The person who has the authority and the responsibility goes last, and the requirement should be, in fact, that they comment on the opinions in the room. It shows that they're being heard and that they're being considered. It does not mean they get done... It just means they're heard and they're considered, right? I think that's a good idea, but we're not, I don't know that that's appropriate in this case. That's a totally fine response. Right. As long as that's not your only response, because then it gets to be blamed.
2: (laughs) Right. And then you're guaranteed to have opinion that's not an expert opinion. It's just based on what I've heard and seen and read and know outside, this is what I think is true. Here's a a point of view that you probably didn't expect to hear. Great. And that's true as the leader too. The leader can't go in the room with a decision or an opinion or a point of view unless that decision's already done. We, we don't get to change it as a team. This, this, this decision has now come down and I'm now communicating it to you. Different situation. But if Correct. you are empowered to make this decision, leader can't start or you've, you've just every, asked everybody to say yes. That's the only net result of that conversation.
1: The opposite is true when the opposite is true, right? When this is we're discussing to make a decision, the leader goes last. Right. When it's the other way around, a decision has been made and now it's about us executing, the leader must go first. Right. Don't start collecting opinions if the decision is already made because the opinions don't have value at that point. Right. Right. And it, it it starts to become a really good cultural way to to set up the situation. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't go first, then everyone in the room knows we're now open for opinions. Now is the time for your thoughts, for your desires, for your interests and your concerns to be heard, to be counted and tallied and weighed. And then the opposite is true when the opposite is true. When the leader speaks first, we culturally know a decision has been made. Now we're in execute mode. Now we figure out how do we take that decision? And regardless of, our, of, of the, any issues we have with the decision itself, how do we ensure we mitigate the risk that we saw before the decision was made in how we execute?
2: So that's the easier of the two. Uh, So it's easy-ish in a room to have those discussions. But how do you include top to down within the organization? Let's say there's four levels between the the application developer and the CIO. How can you include diversity of thought or inclusion of conversation in a much bigger team? How How can you make sure opinions from everywhere in the organization get boiled up to somebody who ultimately needs to make that decision? It seems like a harder problem. It's a much harder
1: problem. Yeah, it's a significantly harder problem, and, and it does not work by putting everyone in a room. It no. becomes noise, right? That'll
2: be a big town hall,
1: right? Um, and so, really, what you need is you need to. Do, this is where clearly defining stakeholders becomes important, right? If four teams are involved in making a decision, then there should be four stakeholders—one, at least one—from each team who's responsible for gathering the input from their team on an ongoing basis and bringing it to the stakeholder meeting where they share their concerns, their execution plans, whatever it happens to be. So they ensure that their whole team is represented. And that does fall on leadership to really determine who represents the team in those stakeholder meetings. And I have to be honest, shouldn't always be the leader. Maybe should never be the leader, depending on your organization. Um, because ultimately they need to be in the room. Also, as a culture, you probably need to have some rules built around it. Because if it's just VP, if it's three VPs in the room, and then the fourth is an application developer, there's gonna be a voice that's not as well heard, right. right? So don't set yourself up for failure, really have a design methodology in doing it and thinking about it from an organizational standpoint, right? If you are the CIO, start defining what those rules look like. Start defining your expectations. Do you really want your VPs to be representative of all of the stakeholders that roll up underneath them? Or is there a better stakeholder that might be closer to the problem that can better articulate either the solution or the usability of that solution than the VP? That's probably a better stakeholder, in which case you need to encourage the culture so that that person's voice is always heard. Even if that means in those meetings, you ensure that their voice is not drowned out.
2: Yep, I, I agree. All, all too often is there multi-level committees, which simply don't work because uh, a multi-level committee will immediately, just just general culture, will start to be listeners for the lower part of the organization and deciders for the higher part of the organization, which isn't, in fact, what you want as a CIO. Uh, you need to design those committees to have as many peers as physically possible so that nobody in the room has any particular authority over anyone else. However, they have a set of accountabilities and responsibilities that are obvious to everybody, right? Have a developer, have a BA, have a QA, create an agile team that obvious everybody has a role and nobody's nobody's running the team versus three VPs and five individual contributors. Those three VPs will make every single decision in the room, which is absolutely not effective. Because it's quite unlikely those VPs have enough detailed knowledge to make those decisions. Yeah.
1: Right. And, and I would say that if you if if you as the CIO or you as whatever the leader is in the room, the ultimate person that the decision is being presented for, um, if you are not in the room some of the time, then you make sure the person with the lowest title presents the notes from the previous meeting. Right. They're much more likely to stumble over the things that their opinion didn't get heard on Right. Versus a VP pushing for, forward the decisions made by the VP, right. right? So I think there's some easy ways to do that that often get missed. Yeah.
2: So, so other things like bits and bytes, uh, you need to uh, look for people who have a different opinion than yourself, right? So don't always bring in people in the committee to you think already have the same opinion. Make sure there's diversity of thought in that general room. Like there's always somebody who distinctly has a different architectural design, put them in that room, because that will be an interesting behavior to see. Uh, Don't seek out same decisions always, sorry, don't seek out out same expertise, seek out alternative expertise, and potentially even create a distinctly different communication path up to the CIO. It doesn't always have to be through the hierarchy. It can be different paths of communication, informal or even formal, but you've got to you, you've got to create multiple paths. And the, and the reality is you need still need an open door policy, right? If somebody wants to come in and have a conversation with you, let that conversation occur. because yeah, Just he, let it encourage it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like actively
1: encourage the fact that an open door policy means I do in fact, like if my door is open, the expectation is anyone can walk in and have a conversation about anything. No filters, no language. You say what's on your mind. And I yeah. will listen to the, to the absolute best of my ability for the length of time until I have to close the door because I've got another meeting. Right. right. Um, an open-door policy needs to actually be an open-door policy. Entirely too often, it's not really an open-door policy. Right. Um, in which case, you, you kind of as a, as a leader, you kind of end up just hearing one voice, right? And you, you, you never actually get a, a full understanding of what's really happening.
2: Carlos, that was a broad and detailed conversation.
1: Well, I wanted to give a tip before, before we okay. stop. Um, and that's a tip on how to execute on the very thing that you wrote up, right? How do I know someone's going to give me a different perspective when I'm hiring them, when I'm interviewing them? And a really easy way to do that is pick a meeting that didn't have a lot of diversity in it to get to a decision. Give them the decision and then ask if they would do it differently. Right? Allow them to challenge the thinking on that decision. If they go, oh, that sounds good, you probably aren't going to get the diversity of thought. Right. But if they start firing things like, hey, did you think about this because of, did you think about X because of Y? Did you think about you know W because of V? Um, you're probably going to end up with someone that, that's going to give you a different perspective because you wouldn't have heard it in the meeting prior. It'd be right. very, very easy to do and, a, and kind of a simple way to phrase a question and can be very timely for what you're doing. That's
2: the perfect tip. Excellent.
0: Perfect. And so there you have it, my friends. Make sure that when you're hiring someone or when you're building a team, it's not just diversity like Paul and Howard mentioned, just the way it looks, but also you want what in here. So they will help you to lead that team, to make the transformation that you need in your company and in your community. My friends, as every week, make sure that you click on the bell and subscribe share with others, and we'll see you on our next episode.